Hey everybody, this is Joshua Heston. And I'm Lisa Martin. And this is the Dark Ozarks on the Branson Podcast Network. We're an exploration of everything that's dark in history, mysteries, the paranormal, and everything else. We explore the noir, the unknown, cryptozoology, UFOs, paranormal, and all the dark stuff that happens in the Ozarks. You can find Dark Ozarks on Branson Podcast Network on Facebook under Dark Ozarks, as well as our YouTube channel, Dark Ozarks. We'll leave no stone unturned to bring you the dark history, mysteries, and legends of the Ozarks. Welcome to the Dark Ozarks. We are discussing ghosts, devils, and magic in African-American belief systems and how this important tradition has shaped American folklore, including in the Ozarks. We will get back to that in a minute, but first we want to remind you that the Dark Ozarks podcast is now available on Branson Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Substack, or about any other podcast platform. So what in traditional African and African-American belief systems um, would sound familiar today? I think it would surprise many people how much of this, uh, this lore has aspects that ring with familiarity. And it is an incredibly rich world of ghosts, of conjure and witchcraft. But there's just a lot of aspects that both positively and negatively made their way or were portrayed in popular culture. And uh, a lot of this also has impacted today's paranormal field. These are things that directly impact um, the, these subjects, both paranormal research and pop culture here in the Ozarks. And uh, to me, it's just incredibly fascinating. And we'll return to how African-American beliefs in the paranormal have impacted our current pop culture and folklore. But first, we want to invite you to like, follow, and subscribe to Dark Ozarts on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, as well as your favorite podcast platform. We also invite you to become a Dark Ozarts subscriber on Facebook. On the Dark Ozarts Facebook page, click subscribe, have your login information ready, and join Dark Ozarts behind the scenes for only $4.99 per month. Your $4.99 per month subscription allows you to come with us on paranormal investigations, deep dive research, and topics too controversial for public view. The next 100 subscribers will be entered in a drawing for a free Dark Ozarks t-shirt and an exclusive signed first-round copy of the book, Dark Ozarks, The Spook Light. Subscribe today to be entered in that drawing. And now you can get Dark Ozarts t-shirts for sale at darkozarts.com and paranormalsciencelab.com. We encourage you to check out Always Buying Books in Joplin, Missouri, in person and online on Facebook and at the website alwaysbuyingbooks.com for all of your reading needs, including a large section on the paranormal, history, and more. Not to mention, the building is haunted. Tell Bob and Elise that we sent you. We also want to thank Beard Engine Brewing Company in Alba, Missouri. Beard Engine Brewing is the only English-style brewery in Missouri and has been twice named Missouri's Best Brewery by the Missouri Brewers Association. Great beer and great food in a historical building with the noir past. And yes, their building is also haunted. Tell Nate and Tiff that we sent you. Uh, good stuff. And... Uh really, really interesting, complex uh, topic for tonight. 
it, it really is. And in ways that often um, we aren't conscious of um, how it has impacted our current belief systems, uh, particularly about the paranormal and some of these other subjects. I, I definitely agree with that. It's <clears throat> very, well, for one, uh, and I think that there still is, there is often uh, negative connotations associated with some aspects of this belief structure. Uh, a lot of, uh, of individuals may still have a negative impact, a negative uh, opinion on things like voodoo and hoodoo. Uh, and I would say a reasonable amount of fear even to this day. I, I think so. It's, it, you know, it, if nothing else, just from reinforcement over time that, you know, assuming that that's what uh, is reality when it's a lot more complex than that. It is. And of course, we're we're dealing with um, a, a root base, uh, a core, a foundation of traditional African religions, uh, strong emphasis on West African religions, and then introducing the various uh, aspects of those ideas and that, and I, I tend to land on the term cosmology rather than religion, because it is more, it is, it is different than what most of us with a, uh, a Western framework uh, or a, a colonial European framework think of when we think of religion. It is, and that was something that that appears to have been, uh, you know, consistently very um, a, a very painful aspect of the process from a a personal belief system that many of the individuals who were brought over against their will as part of the slave trade were forcibly introduced to Christianity and forcibly introduced to a categorization of religion of this box as opposed to other things and other boxes. And that really goes against the, the overarching cosmology of uh, many of these West African belief structures, because it was a belief, belief structures that were, quite frankly, very uh, extraordinarily, very, uh, in very complicated, powerful, and intuitive seeming ways, uh, interwoven throughout all aspects of life. So it wasn't something that you just put in a box uh, in this category, separate from other categories. It was, these were concepts, and this is something that I think we'll see throughout the discussion tonight. These are great and complex cosmological ideas that are interwoven from the deeply personal to what we would think of as the mundane and the day-to-day -to, -day, to aspects involving things like uh, medicine, uh, justice uh, or law, uh, family, uh, personal development, quote unquote, or uh, you know, growth and and aging, to uh, crops, to meteorology, to weather, all of these things uh, having a, a complex interworking nature that was very uh, being forced to think of, of things from a enlightenment, uh, a Western colonial perspective, everything in categorical boxes. It was, it was very foreign. Uh, first of all, it was an alien way of thinking. The, the, the Western 
mindset was a very alien concept and being forced to uh, to to function uh, under those rules had to have been a personally incredibly uh, personally painful experience before you even add in all of the other aspects of what was going on. Exactly. And, and we have talked various times about the duality in culture uh, traditions and how that is a little different than uh, the Enlightenment period, etc., and other other areas of Europe. Um, and there is a bit of a not not a sameness, but a, a parallel between these two in some ways. These two belief traditions that this there is duality, there is uh, interconnectedness. Um, and I think that part of the issue is that for the West African people being brought over, it was a sudden change. Whereas the Celtic people, things were, you know, integration with other peoples, with, with the Romans, et cetera, over time, it was much more gradual. And, um, Ironically, um, a lot of those Celtic traditions were lost in that process. Um, and it's amazing when you start going through the, the research how much of the West African belief systems really survived considering the trauma that was being experienced. It, it is, we're, we're talking about thousands upon thousands of people who were cut off uh, from their, their ancestral structures. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and then, and then forced to assimilate into, into other structures. It is, I would say almost miraculous to see the amount of survival uh, of belief structures and systems that took place. What is, very positive, I think, <clears throat> is that the, uh, the West African cosmology <clears throat> remained largely intact in Africa. So mm -hmm. we do have, unlike with the Celts, uh, we are dealing with structures that m current, uh, you know, contemporary anthropological and, uh, and religious studies can be done on to really understand True. The these systems in, in ways that we simply don't have a fully fledged out record <laughs> with the Celts, and then we can and and it has been done in many cases make those uh, transatlantic comparisons and see how much was able to be retained, how much was destroyed, and in many cases something that in the course of two to three generations, oftentimes pretty quickly, um, largely in the, the late 18th century, early 19th century, we see a, a situation where in, in comparatively short time, the individuals who were uprooted and their, their connections, their physical connections severed, but their spiritual and energetic connections being retained and then 
in secret, typically, uh, passed on to the next generation. And these were things that gave uh, a sense of hope, a sense of identity, uh, a sense of ancestral meaning, and a sense of, uh, of nationalistic reform, as well as, as uh, a, a militant response, and played a huge role in a number of successful as well as unsuccessful uh, revolutions, the most notable being in Haiti, uh, modern day Haiti and uh, Jamaica, but also clearly impacting, of course, <clears throat> uh, in the antebellum South uh, of, of the US, uh, the threat of slave revolt was a, a dominant fear and the references to the revolution in Haiti were were made often that they did not want that sort of thing happening here mm -hmm. although not you know it, it's difficult to spread into this territory without you know inflammatory aspects but <clears throat> there the the cultural substrate in the u.s while not great by any story was not good in many cases it was very different than what was going on in haiti as well true there were differences and and um in actually jamaica you mentioned jamaica that's a good example of this this rad a radical departure from the past for people and and how much of a threat it was viewed is that um going back to 1760 obaya was outlawed and that's basically a belief system this belief system that uh technically is you know in religious in part um uh as well as folklore and conjure etc that it was seen as such a threat that it was outlawed it was and this is to me this is really interesting before we began doing in-depth research on this i was a lot less familiar with the, the jamaican obi or obia um tradition but mm -hmm. it encapsulates so many of the West African diaspora structure, tradition, magic, as well as the, uh, the what what I'm going to temporarily at least refer to as colonial whites superstitions about it, um, right. uh, as well as genuine um, fears associated with it. And the the court record and the indicators regarding uh, the revolution in Jamaica, with uh, with the the folk tradition, magic, uh, the cosmology associated with it, to me is really fascinating because first of all the uh, the 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 contemporary court records are really skirting that very interesting line between are we outlawing it because it's a silly superstition. And such things are just bad for the for the for the people who don't know any better. Or are we outlawing it because we're afraid of it? And true, and it's real. It's and and if we're afraid of it, now you can make arguments uh, that it was as a as a as a structure was was um, igniting um, militaristic and and revolutionary zeal and providing. Uh, a sense of place and a sense of structure and a sense of culture for people that otherwise being cut off from all of those things would have been easier to prevent 
from moving to to violence or or moving into revolution. But the other side of it is, and I I can't help but lean toward this, is that you know you you put uh, the uh, the colonials and the European colonials in the situation, and while they could espouse, and we all have um, sort of uh, we all have our our own fabricated narratives uh, in terms of how the world works. And these are individuals who, quite frankly, were, uh, were moving forward in, uh, in terms of, of plantation, in terms of colonialism, in terms of, of uh, the spread of Western civilization, Western values, and of course, a very unique um, religion, if you will, uh, a, a fusion of <clears throat> enlightenment rationalism and uh, structured either Catholicism or structured Protestantism that was largely state sanctioned. And the the idea of certainly that mm, overarching what would be what would be called in the United States manifest destiny, uh, the right to rule, the right to expand, those types of things. I tend to imagine uh, those individuals uh, feeling very secure in their in their belief structures, uh, very, very solid in their ideas when they were in places like Paris and London, far, far away from the threat of overarching revolt that could take over the entire island. And in the case of Haiti and Jamaica, ultimately did. Um, but we also know that for, for all of us, under the right circumstances, it is especially under duress, the idea that everything that we thought was the way the world works can crumble uh, under certain circumstances. And I can't help but think that a number of these individuals really began to wonder with these obvious uh, men and women with the conjure, with the 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 idea that uh, you know the the magic that was taking place, the idea that that the the Obi men uh, could uh, could kill people without touching them, that they could could conjure invincibility against bullets uh, into an army, that they could raise natural forces uh, at their will. We're, we're, we're really talking about something that old Europeans would have recognized as, as Germanic shamans or Druids, Celtic Druids. Exactly. And, and I think um, if you went back two or 300 years to medieval times, the church uh, accommodated that sort of that dance between the two worlds um whereas with the once the enlightenment came along and then the protestantism um they did not allow for the that that was not a, a, an allowance because it can't be real none of it can be real and right. that that put them in a, a real box um from a theoretical perspective a religious perspective as well as practical uh perspectives and it 
it's kind of interesting because really, as you described what these fears were, and they that's what they were fearing, to be honest, um, you could have just basically taken that out of a plot line from uh, a movie about voodoo over the last 40 years. Um, and so these ideas and wrestling with these concepts is something that still intrigues us and in 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 very real ways is still among us uh, with modern traditions but um I, I do find it interesting you you mentioned the court records i found it interesting that they they especially as an attorney they they had to wrestle with because of their um, post-enlightenment um, uh, viewpoints, they, they, they had a real problem of, as you said, how, why, are we, why are we outlawing this? And part of it ha has to do with if we acknowledge this by outlawing it, we admit that witchcraft and, and evil and necromancy and all these things are real things. And then we open a whole nother can of worms. And from a, a legal perspective, I found it interesting sort of the, of how they sidestepped the issue was by saying, describing, they had to define what Obeo was. And then um, basically, particularly with the witchcraft and craft aspect of it, um, say, saying that practitioners were pretending to use witchcraft, yes. conjure, etc. So that way, you know, that that allowed them to have the the Chinese wall to say it's not real. But here's why we're doing this, and them pretending is the danger. Yes. Pretty friendly logic, but it's uh, it's. It's absolutely not real, and they're all just pretending. And yet, we are mm, zealously outlawing it mm -hmm. because pretend. It uh, it is it is an interesting interplay, and of course, it, it could be argued, obviously, that whether it's real or not. Um, and for the record, I believe that it is. I'm. I, 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 do, and, I do too. I, I, I've, I've seen things that that I, I can't uh, deny. Uh, and and I I've experienced spaces, um, which we'll we'll get into in the more nuts and bolts. Uh, we both experienced spaces that have been changed as a result of conjure, and this is easily a hundred, hundred and twenty, hundred thirty years after the fact, or more. Um, yeah, yeah. It's those types of things. That's that is not that's not a uh, a a ripple in time and space for you know to use Star Trek terms for whatever that's worth. But uh, these are these are not changed spaces based on something that's pretend. No, no, there is definitely an impact on the environment, the space, and, and I believe the people. So, um, mm -hmm. and, and to be honest, if, if, um, if it didn't have a power to, if at a minimum, uh, 
embolden the the uh, enslaved population to rebel against massive odds um, that in itself is a powerful energy it is it is and you you look at um you look at these these revolutions you look at the results of these revolutions and that that in and of itself to a degree speaks for the situation for the cosmology there's on a what what could be considered for us in our western categorical minds could be considered non-supernatural mm -hmm. is the herbal and healing traditions and or more specifically the use of plants and I think that this the use of plants <clears throat> within this structure of lore mm -hmm. is extraordinarily powerful in terms of interpreting the rest of it because it is the idea first of all that plants are powerful yes uh it is the understanding that occult knowledge of plants and by occult i mean by the very traditional literal sense of the hidden knowledge of plants is very powerful and that with plants you can do things and <clears throat> if you need some if you have a need for something done you seek out a practitioner and pay them and they then do things and that the power the knowledge necessary to accomplish the thing the power that resides within the plant and the end result uh the 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 goal the need and the goal that these are just four spaces of this interlocking reality and the point that the point where uh if there is a shift which for our western minds uh would be a shift between oh that's physical science um you know and then at what point does it shift over and become more than that at which point does it shift into a cosmology at which point does it shift into quote unquote magic at which point do these things happen it doesn't matter that's the idea that it all is there that that's true and and um and i and i think that it's 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 that paper dragon uh notion basically that western europeans uh developed that you have you have a a real supernatural and you have a fake one the mm -hmm. fake one is uh, relegated to folklore and it, it, it doesn't exist the real one is what what is propagated by the faith uh of at that time whether it's catholics or protestants or independent on where you're at um mm -hmm. and um because you you cut that cord between them 
it, it creates these tensions and it creates um, not only a theological and philosophical issue, it, it creates a very practical issue for people because suddenly you are uh, wrenched away from sort of half of life and yes. told that it's, it's silly, that it doesn't exist. But yet, but yet we still turn around and, you know, we plant by the moon and we, you know, knock on wood and we do these things. Um, and that's okay, as long as it doesn't go too far over into whatever is defined as silly and nonsense. And <clears throat> again, that uh, constant tension very, very interesting, particularly looking at it from this more mm, dimensional cosmology. Because <clears throat> first of all, as, as coming back to the plants, uh, I think are uh, an excellent example that the plants do things and the plants under certain circumstances and in certain guidance and certain association uh, with supernatural forces, and with specific combinations and certain preparations do things. Which things are good, which things are bad? No, you're asking the wrong question. The question is, what do you need? Right. And it's kind and, of interesting. And this is actually very interesting because I actually read, read an article just yesterday on genetics. Um, yeah, in my free time. Um, <laughs> I was sitting somewhere. Um, and there's actually a, a growing field of research that plants and actually everything we eat um, with uh, the micronutrients in them actually change our genome. Now, that's very physical, that's very scientific, et cetera. In the same space, you could define that as magic. Yes, you could. And I would, I would argue that it is indeed magical, uh, even if you can observe it. I mean, I think one of the things that we, we have this idea is if it can be observed and quantified, it's no longer magic. Mm -hmm. Yet we are surrounded with extraordinary things that would classify as magic. And along this line with the plants, <clears throat> using this as an example, <clears throat> this is a, a line of thought that I'm just have been percolating on all day, so here goes. <laughs> but <clears throat> there is what I would classify, let's see if I can do this. There is what I would classify as a mm, post-colonialist uh, myopic, a myopic post-colonialism that we are still struggling within the Western mindset to get out of. And even as we are decrying the Western mindset, even as we are saying, oh, we don't want to be like those bad European colonials, etc., <laughs> they were operating under, um, in many cases, a, a, an unconscious um, series of structures they were they were operating under their cosmology because that was the world that they knew and we are doing the same 
And something that, and I'm going to have a real life example here in just a second, um, that that does relate to to uh, Obia specifically, but this entire West African uh, diaspora of belief structure in in uh, the Americas. <clears throat> that today we we look at these structures, we look at the evils of colonialism. Uh, that was perpetrated upon a wide variety of peoples. And we look at, for example, the fear that uh, plantation owners, et cetera, had. We'll look at um, you know, the fear in association with uh, voodoo, the fear associated with uh, uh, Obia, the fear associated with Santeria, the fear associated with hoodoo and the, and the root workers uh, and the threat of revolt. <clears throat> we look at that and we say, okay, from our now post-colonial mindset, there is only one option. And yet it is an option that is oftentimes still locked in to our old mindset. This option is those bad people, quote unquote, were afraid of uh, the, the West Africans. And that is unbelievably silly. Now, first of all, I think that's very condescending mm -hmm. um, because every cosmology has power. And if you're like me and you do attribute various cosmologies as having real supernatural impacts, um, there's nothing silly about it. No, I agree. Um, I agree. I, I subscribe to that view as well. <clears throat> that there were and are individuals, uh, practitioners within these spaces, and we'll go back to the historic revolutions, uh, specifically individuals within these spaces who were conjuring, who were doing, who were practicing their cosmology in very real and powerful ways, and were giving those plantation owners, those uh, authoritative, authoritarian structures, et cetera, reason to have pause. They were giving them reason to be afraid. They were uh, giving, because they were practicing for real and they were impacting the world around them in a wide variety of ways. And so <clears throat> us, uh, here we are, you know, century or two removed, looking back at, say, for example, these uh, you know, these records from the plantations, et cetera, where there is trepidation, where there is nervousness, even if it is nervousness uh, veiled within a more Western mindset and mm -hmm. be like, oh, those silly superstitious colonialists or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that, and part of it is an unwillingness, and now we get to my final point, an unwillingness to look at the cosmology of this particular diaspora and not equate anything dangerous with it. Right. And in 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 it and and then on top of that, in the same breath, they they have to say just the opposite. Because yeah. <clears throat> and it, it, it's that spy, you know, it's that circular logic 
even if it's unspoken, that um, informs the situation and um, you see it carry over into um, the United States, the colonies um, on the continent um, with this, this balance and this um, give and, and take, you know, a tug of war of, of power through these cosmologies. Yes. And I, I think that it's fair to look at these as warring supernatural cosmologies to such a large degree. I think that's very fair. And, and, and when we get to the point of talking about some of the ghost lore, it becomes very obvious. It does. It does. And, it, <clears throat> you know, there, there's and, I, and I've seen this in a number of things, particularly some of the more mm, superficial readings um, that are from a post-colonialist standpoint saying, oh, this was considered very negatively in times past. So we're just going to call it, you know, this very, uh, very happy, positive uh, folk religion, uh, because we're not like those bad people in the past that had a negative opinion of it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very important to understand that there's a difference between having a negative opinion of something as opposed to recognizing that something has value that is very powerful. I have a lot of neighbors. Um, <laughs> riding by in the street, my windows are open. Uh, that is very powerful, and that power can be used from an outsider's perspective for good or for ill. Correct, um, and uh, and I think seeing here in the twenty first century, our overview is also um, influenced heavily by new age literature uh, and portrayals of these forces. And one of the tenets of uh, most of the new age beliefs and Wicca in particular is that do no harm, everything's white, um, but it still, it still has a bit of the same tensions because on the other hand, they say yes, we only do we only do light work, but but dark work exists. It's just not us, right? And, and so you, you you get on the hamster wheel again, mm -hmm. still. And, and I think that for for so many of the genuine practitioners, um, with a tie to West Africa, that argument would have been nonsensical. It is. Um, it is, and, and, and it is for a lot of traditional European practitioners as well. I mean, everything has a effect. Um, and it's not just, it's not necessarily just, quote, your intention. Uh, that, 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 that's a nice little boilerplate to make yourself feel good. I'm probably going to get hate mail over that, but, um, but it's true. And, and it's the thing that I think is very beautiful is the pragmatism. It is honest. It is authentic. It is mm -hmm. saying, and this was something that was, <clears throat> there's, there's a, um, one of the articles that you know reviewed for tonight's episode, talking about um, 
slaves in Jamaica um, in their in recording some of their opinions of the um, the missionaries and the the attempt to introduce a, a Western uh, Protestant belief structure and one of the one of the overarching ones was the uh, baby Jesus in the manger and a distant God who observes but does not interact on a on an immediate level and they're going at one this and I'm paraphrasing but I'm just referencing the article and for full disclaimer uh, I am a you know Protestant evangelical Christian myself but I do enjoy looking at all of these different perspectives is basically saying what good is any of that uh you have you have a baby that can't do anything for me and you have a a distant cosmological deity that is not helping me with my day-to-day -day existence and my day-to-day -day existence is rough um mm -hmm. I, I need cosmological deities that I basically, I give them something, they give me something in return. I need something, I do the right things, they do the thing for me. Uh, I mean, to be perfectly honest, it's, it, it, it mirrors society, mm -hmm. you know, um, derision for the source of the statement, but for, you know, whatever, but saying, you know, takes a village to raise a child, it's the same thing. It takes all of these, all of these deities, all of these things, all of these skills mm -hmm. to get through life, especially when life is very hard and, and oppressive. And um, those things are very practical and, and useful and um, shows an interaction and a reciprocity of of faith and belief where the deities are believing in you too so so to speak as as much as you do them um and there's something very poetic about that there's something very real uh, about that um that um honestly if you go back far enough all around the world there there's a similar affinity in most indigenous people's belief systems and i i'm a firm believer that you know you have that sort of broad interaction for hundreds of thousands of years really around the globe there's something to it yeah i i really do agree with that and to some degree uh, you know, you could argue that, you know, an obsession, and I, I have a deep appreciation for what I would reference as high faith, um, these larger, uh, powerful theological concepts, and the idea that we are, we are called to become better people, we are called to uh, improve and, and help others improve their lives, and these types of things, what I would really classify as high faith, essentially. But there is a beauty in the pragmatism of we got stuff we got to do and we and we have to figure out how to do it and you know and you know we need help getting it done and 
yeah, there's just that sense of reciprocity that, and, and to be honest, it comes out on an issue of fairness. I mean, there, there's there's balance. I mean, you're the balance in the scale, so to speak, is that, um, and I certainly can see from that, from their perspective of with the missionaries that they're, they're asking them to do something that really is very, from their perspective, very one-sided. It is, <clears throat> it is uh, not only alien, uh, but essentially useless in terms of right. the, uh, uh, the lives that they were living. <clears throat> and you're giving, me, you're giving me books to re- you're giving me books to read when I need food to eat. Yes, and <laughs> and and also, of course, uh, they were living um, the uh, the hypocrisy of the era because they were being told you should embrace this sense of high faith because it makes you better people, um, but you will also be tortured. Uh, if uh, you do not comply, that and the and the people who already have faith in in, in high faith are the one torturing you. Yes, yes. Uh, great reference. I think very, very, uh, very introspective, very eye opening, and in terms of observation, that as the as the missionaries were preaching the importance of the crucifixion of Christ that one of the one of the recorded takeaways in this regard was uh, no wonder they like this religion so much because they're the ones who want to do the crucifying. You know that there was a lot of intelligence in, in, in the person uh, in, in those statements. I mean, very practical and very intelligent. I mean, and, and I think, intelligent response. Yeah. Yeah, it's <clears throat> because it, it, and that is one of the things when we see this with the Celts, we clearly see this with uh, um, the, the West Afri- African diaspora, is that these are individuals who did not, were, were not brought up in the categorization and grid and bo- grid and cube structure of the Romans of the British Empire of, uh, you know, essentially uh, modern Americanism as well yeah, we can blame the romans nice little square boxes with everything you know from, yeah. from our houses to the streets to, yeah. <laughs> to how we think <laughs> yeah i know everything's on a grid i think it's one of the things that is appealing to me about the ozarks is that the topography itself prevents the grid from getting too out of hand <laughs> true uh. true <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe you just have that affinity because it's more like a, a you know a thousand year old um, village in the in the aisles, right? It's you know there there is such a thing as ancestral memory. Um, yeah. There is such a thing as those those associations that, that stretch across the Atlantic, um, depending on whether it's to to Europe or to Africa, and those those things are real. They're powerful, and. All of this, all of this discussion of cosmology, first of all, I think with the, the references to the crucifixion, uh, certainly here in the week after Easter, from my perspective, these kind of things are very important because it calls us to introspection and awareness that we would not otherwise have um, and, and help us to, to do some self-reflection. And <clears throat> which I would hope that, you know, some of the individuals uh, who were recording uh, the, those uh, uh, Jamaicans during that time, uh, pre-revolution, 
uh, had some moments of, of, uh, of uh, painful introspection and self-respect, self-reflection and, uh, you know, what I believe <clears throat> could be, you know, described by Jung as the dark night of the soul. And I hope that they did. The fact that the records were maintained and preserved suggests that it is real, that that did happen, because obviously they could have just gotten rid of the records that they didn't like that's that's true and and um the, the fact that they were preserved um uh it shows that uh, that some people involved deserve credit for trying to preserve those issues that could be problematic to them to be honest mm -hmm. and but then taking a step further i think all of this discussion is leading toward something that's very important for the rest of the episode, which is understanding the cosmology of pragmatism, the cosmology of practicality. Uh, we like, and I think it's mm, in, in certain circumstances, this idea of this Western and in some cases very um, um, Judeo-Christian and it's an ethic that I'm strongly in favor of, which is the idea of morality and right and wrong and these sorts of, of instilled principles. At the same time, there is an aspect of that that is almost a luxury that in other circumstances uh, with, with individuals who are bereft of um, you know, an existent judicial system, uh, an existent infrastructure, <clears throat> really leaves you with a lot of questions and uh, you know we have we have the luxury to be ethical in so many cases today yeah that, uh that that other people and even some of our own ancestors did not necessarily have mm -hmm. and <clears throat> coming back to this the the cosmology of practicality that we see with the western Af african diaspora is does it work what are my needs and does it work and it the perspective on that shifts how you see things so coming back just to the plants what do i need and does it work and that could be uh i have a family member who is suffering and we need to do something to 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 help them not help them get better okay now our western ethics would put that in the camp of that's good mm -hmm. but from a purely pragmatic standpoint you go to the same person uh i'm being abused i'm being mistreated uh someone is hurting me someone is hurting my family members somebody is going to take my family members away and we need to stop them so how do we poison them it's the same it's the same uh, toolbox and it's the same practitioner that you're going to and it simply right. doesn't work and 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 that's and it's all a matter and a lot of it is a matter of perspective um and whether or not you've been in that situation or seen enough to know what would you do in this situation and at what point do the boxes not matter yes yes and and, and, that, and another, another oh and another yeah. point is that when you are dealing with you're dealing with population as you said we have the luxury to pick our ethics and morality today 
for the most part, most people do. Um, because we are in an affluent society. Um, when you are dealing with a population that is under so much stress, and not only just from physical violence potentially or anything, but just, um, you know, lack, lack of um, subsistence um, yeah. means, um, uh, not knowing if, you know, you very easily could starve to death, um, et cetera, and not, not receive the modicum of care that other people in your society would. Um, mm. And they consistently cleave to these traditional beliefs and practices. People who are under that kind of physical, mental, and emotional stress don't take the time to continue doing things that they don't see results from. Right. That I is think, very, very true. Yeah, I think I think that in itself is is one of the best arguments for there is something to these things, or they simply wouldn't have continued doing them. Yeah. Because yeah. The, their circumstances were not comfortable enough to make you know those choices. And often the, these some of these practices, these practices would uh, put them in risk of harm or death if they were found out. It would, because these are practices that had to be done in secret. And I, I think that that what you just brought up really highlights an aspect of uh, these practices that is most often overlooked. Because again, I think that there is a colonialist slash post-colonialist um, uh, bias that is in place. Mm -hmm. And one, one aspect of the bias has replaced another. Uh, the, first, the first bias is, oh, it's super, super bad. Well, and the, the new bias, it, I, I'm going to say, speaking in very broad generalities, that there's approximately three colonialist perspective biases uh, that have taken place. The first one was, oh my gosh, it's really, really bad. The second one is, it's bad, but it's not real. And the third one is, it's incredibly interesting, but it's not real. That's true. That, that, that's true. And that, that, is a, that is the state where we're at in a lot of pop culture. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I think that does a, a terrible disservice to a cosmology that, as you've noted, if it didn't work, there was no reason whatsoever to continue it. Exactly. They, you know, there, there were plenty of things that they could have expended energy and risk on um, <laughs> that wouldn't put them at more, that in more threat. Um, uh, people generally don't do that repeatedly if they don't see value in it. And over time, and it's, you know, and one of those counter biases is, well, they just thought it was having an effect. It really didn't. Either, either it was all in the, you know, it's, you know, it, it's a, a placebo effect, or, you know, we would say today, or, you know, um, 
they're fooling themselves, etc. And that in and of itself, I would contend, is a continuance of this idea of West Africans as primitive. I, I, I think that is I think that is fair. Uh, um, although it, it the same analogy is used in you know in other areas and with other groups, so it yes. um, and yeah. I think I mean, and, and we we see it uh, and you and I are both of Celtic ancestry. We have yeah. seen it applied to the Celts. Oh yes, many times over, as well as many other people groups. I I I don't, even though this may be a contentious statement, I don't see it in a in a classic um, racial aspect. I see it as an othering. Yes, yes. the The racial aspect is is sort of secondary. I know I don't want to say secondary, but it is not the only primary motive. <clears throat> it's. I, I think that the the bigger issue, which oftentimes gets lost in in terms of uh, the the arguments made by authoritarian cultures, is that um, <laughs> the the authoritarian culture constantly saying um it's not us you know we're not the problem it's you um yeah. we're not the problem it's you it's your you're this or that or something else um and, and the argument oftentimes gets gets uh gets made that because it's it's oftentimes a, a an attempt to contextualize and essentially create a series of reasons why this other group is something that you don't like. And right. then that takes on sort of its own weather pattern, its own sociological weather pattern. And then we're constantly battling that conversation, but back and forth. But the, the real issue is an authoritarian, um, rather monolithic authoritarian structure that's saying this is the worldview that is going to be bulldozed forward. And those that do not fit into that worldview are automatically the other and mm -hmm. whatever that might be. And at various times, and, and the fact that the, the actual ancestral makeup uh, of, the, of the person or the people group is less of a concern that, that may be an excuse, but it's less of an actual concern than the fact that they're not being compliant right and uh and, and i think again i think individuals who have a strong association individual you know and and ozarkers uh who have a strong association with their ancestral past are drawing back to the scots irish background and the scots irish dealt with this the irish dealt with this the scots dealt with this uh, uh, cultural erasure, the elimination of their language, the destruction of their cosmology, um, the the constant beratement and belittlement, and saying that you're you're a lesser person uh, because you're not mentally complying. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then of course we see it see it applied toward many other people groups as well. Mm -hmm. oh. Agreed. The the interesting thing, and I'm going to draw this around to a, uh, something that's a little closer to home. But again, you know, dealing with the the pragmatism of the 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 
the practicality of the of the work is something that individual that a lot of uh, these folks who are afraid of revolution, uh, afraid of slave revolt, in many cases, afraid of their slaves. One of the things that they were afraid of that draws directly into um, African spiritual tradition, which is African uh, herbal tradition, is knowing how to poison someone. That's true. I mean, that that, that is true. And um, actually, if you know, actually, uh, an example in the American South that illustrates this would be the Myrtles Plantation. That was exactly where I was hoping we would end up. <laughs> and, I do not have any oleander leaves on me, but you know, just exactly. Um, and the. Um, the story there, and I've been to the Myrtles, it's very beautiful, um, very rich energy there. I, I did not have a paranormal experience, but uh, um, you could just, you could just feel the energy from, you, you just felt like you were walking through ripples in time. Uh, and of course, the, the, uh, the instant case there, and I, I the name of the slave girl escapes me at the moment. I hadn't thought about talking about this, um, but she 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 worked in the house and um, actually, if I recall correctly, had th there was a sexual relationship with the master, um, and um, she was afraid she was afraid that she was going to be sent out to the fields and so she started uh putting up oleander into a food of his of the master's wife and children to make them sick because she thought that way they would keep her in the house to take care of them and she there was no, never an intent to kill anyone she basically um wanted to make sure that they they were ill enough that they needed her care and then she accidentally poisoned them, I think, with a cake. Yes. And ultimately, ultimately came out. Actually, if I recall correctly, some of the other slaves turned her in because um, there was um, forceful questioning, et cetera, that we, we would like to wish had never happened. Um, and she ultimately was killed. I, um, I believe hanged, if I recall correctly, and uh, her spirit is one of the spirits that is said to be there, as well as the wife and children. And <clears throat> of course, that and and I believe um, poisoned with a birthday cake. I think it was it was a cake, but I don't remember the occasion. Yeah. And but regardless, there's there's so much chilling tragedy surrounding every aspect uh, of that, uh, the love triangle, innocent children, quote unquote, um, mm -hmm. being the, uh, the, the recipients of this, uh, it's, it's tough. I mean, and, and it speaks to the, the disparity of class, it speaks to, to um, the, the, the herbal practice, it speaks to tragedy, it speaks to darkness. And it, it essentially, I mean, these, these are the elements of dark magic. Mm -hmm. and 
encapsulated. And then the fact that there, there's some reasonably good implication that she continues to haunt the location. Yes, yes. I mean, of course, the Myrtles is, is, you know, routinely cited as one of the most haunted places in the country. Um, there is a it's a few years old now, there is a, a clip from a local newscast that was on site doing a story and you see something move behind the reporter and this is done live, it wasn't even pre-recorded, it was live. And um, uh, you, can, you can find it on the internet That's, that startled the cameraman and the reporter, so. Yeah. And it, <clears throat> you think about, and, and we'll get into this, but I mean, so many locations it, having similar experiences, having mm -hmm. similar, and it's, it's an aspect of uh, Missouri and Arkansas history that is oftentimes overlooked. The, within the Ozarks proper, in terms of the heavily mountainous regions, because of the fact that this is the central Ozarks are so rugged there is it, it was not suitable for plantation style settlement right that and as, as a result uh, the the african-american population in the 19th century in the Ozarks in those regions those heavily mountainous regions were much lower there are uh, certain areas particularly in uh, post-war years and during Reconstruction, that there were a handful of um, communities that were founded, built of, made up of African-Americans, uh, former slaves within the Ozarks. And for the same reason that many different peoples found respite and space within the rugged Ozark Mountains, it was harder to get to, consequently, under certain circumstances, it was harder for people to give you a hard time. And that but there are also a number of locations that comparatively small scale um, slave ownership took place and then in other areas missouri's little dixie area along the mississippi river that large-scale plantation um, settlement was an, an integral part of the pre-war economy Yes, along the Mississippi and along the Missouri, and then um, to some extent, I think along the Arkansas River, a little in Arkansas, and but not as much. And, and of course, in the uh, the borderlands on the uh, uh, the the <clears throat> southeast uh, expanses from the uh, from the Ozarks you are almost immediately within the Mississippi River Delta. Yes, of which of course had a lot of plantations. Yes, a lot of cotton uh, among other crops. And <clears throat> so these, and something that I think is important to understand, some of our, some of our specific stories in terms of these cultural uh, aspects and in terms of magic and uh, cosmology may be from other locations one of great great reference in uh, <clears throat> um, uh, conjuring in the big house kitchen uh an interpretation of african-american belief systems based on the uses of archaeology and folklore sources 
is associated with research, archaeological and folkloric research that was done in Maryland. But the belief structures are largely the same from yes. state to state. Yes, um, a, lot, a lot of what I uh, read in there is very indicative of, um, of anecdotal evidence from the Ozarks regions and the borderlands. So, um, which also is an indication of, you know, these, it, it's not that these belief systems made it so far into the Caribbean and ended or made it to the East Coast of the continent and faded out or anything. They, they persisted uh, over time and as, uh, as uh, they were brought westward. And so, again, another indication that they had to have value um, or, or they would have been given up at, you know, as, as being silly and they weren't. Yes, and I, I wanted to land on this article, The Conjuring in the Big House Kitchen, uh, mm -hmm. was uh, published in, in 1999, but the, the research, the archeological research uh, goes back a lot earlier Mm -hmm. And it was it was uh, <clears throat> a, a you know a, a pre Civil War mansion archaeological digging is being done in the on the grounds and and in regards to the structures themselves uh, beginning in 1981 and with it so just as a as a, as a brief overview because you know so often it's easy to talk about. The, the ideas, and we've talked about the cosmology and the structure, but I think I want to really dig into what some of these practices specifically are to the best of our knowledge. In some cases, we can be very specific. Um, but in this case, I found this really interesting that the archaeological uh, dig resulted in uh, quartz crystals, pierced discs, pierced coins, beads, pins, a rounded black petal, and a white potsherd with a blue asterisk painted in the interior bottom. And uh, the, the results of this were simply being documented back, you know, in the, when it first came out, uh, but were not, the context of it was not known. It was published um, more widely <clears throat> but without context. And shortly after this, the archeological uh, head was contacted by an individual who was uh, well-versed uh, in, uh, in West African diaspora uh, lore, <clears throat> specifically saying that these materials that you have found would have had to have only been used by African slaves specifically to control spirits who had left the body at death and who had wandered via water back to the sea, and the ending with the sea as the ending point as their source, those spirits um, so directed and controlled by what was being buried in the kitchen uh, could protect, could cure, and could shape the future. And this was recognizable based upon what they had dug up. Yes, yes. So um, a lot of this goes, you know, straight back to the original belief systems in Africa. Um, and one thing that um, caught my eye, uh, several as, and, and they, 
they refer to them as catches of these items that they found. Um, they'd be placed under a doorstep, under a, a windowsill, um, and in the northeast corners of rooms. And, and uh, the, the, uh, the archaeological article states, well, you know, we, we know that these kinds of items are put in windowsills and, and doorways as protection. We don't know why about the northeast corner. Um, and, uh, and we don't for sure that I have found yet, but I do have um, thoughts. Um, and one um, is that these, these catches or fetishes uh, as they're referred to in voodoo, um, are, are, as you said, there to control spirits, um, sometimes to either to control them in a certain way, to have them do things, or to confuse them. And um, particularly, my thought is, well, the Northeast corner has to have significance in West African lore to direct my guess the spirit one to go to go north east which mm -hmm. towards home towards africa mm -hmm. is my sense but and that would be very very interesting and and toward water in most cases which uh, but now the flip side is in southern um African-American belief systems, typically, it's believed that spirits can't cross water. Right. There's an interesting dichotomy in that. And I think, and I don't have the answer here, but I think that you have the question. And the question sometimes is the most powerful aspect of it. This We see this repeatedly in... Mm, what, I, what I would classify as... as pre-Western civilization cosmologies mm -hmm. is that two opposite things exist simultaneously. That's true. And, and, and the way you bridge that is that a practitioner can perform craft that basically, I guess for lack of better term, that fits our pop culture, create a portal um, that allows the spirit to cross the water. And it, <clears throat> the, the water motif is unbelievably powerful. And it, it reminds me, it's very tragic and, and chilling, but also very beautiful um, and, and terrible simultaneously. Mm -hmm. um, the, the story, of the of the slaves who were brought to South, I believe South Carolina, and uh, had had you know the the auctions, the everything they finished it all up, and and I believe they were were weighted in their in their in their iron fetters, and had survived uh, the, the horrible voyage across the Atlantic. And before anyone could stop them, they clasped hands and walked into the waves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think that <clears throat> some of those 
aspects and some of those metaphors speak very powerfully to the spiritual um, experience and the perhaps the interaction with the spirits, the association that the water somehow leads home. Yes, I think so. Um, and uh, uh, and I think that is comes through in the in the, in the contents of these fetishes of these catches. Um, another item in there that caught my eye was that there was there was a blue bead. Um, yeah. And and I have to wonder if that was something else that um, the person talking to the archaeological lead um, was referring to because blue beads I know are traditionally um, trade goods among African tribes, basically uh, a form of currency. Mm. So it would be, you know, it would be something that would have, a, you know, that, that has a very significant connection with that past and, and may have continued to mean something of, uh, of a way of passage, perhaps. It's, it's powerful contemplation. Uh, a couple of things I think we can talk about. One, and I'll, I'll lead on this, but <clears throat> just a little over a year ago, I had the opportunity to go to the Hermitage. Mm -hmm. um, and the the mansion itself is extraordinarily beautiful. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the French wallpaper paper mural <laughs> of Polemicus is, uh, is quite memorable. Uh, highly, highly recommend if you're in the Nashville area to absolutely visit the Hermitage. It's 100% well worth your time. Now, I would say my most profound experience was with the larger slave cabin that is at the bottom of the pasture. Mm -hmm. And I cannot explain this. Uh, so, you know, take that with it what you will. But I uh, I stepped on the threshold, and it's a it's a it's a block of limestone. It's from what I can tell original. the The cabin itself is original. Um, there is resonant energy with that threshold. It's associated well, with the ground. Well, and that often you know would be a a place that you know. Uh, fetish would would be placed um and um i mean that makes that makes perfect sense really it was it was very very powerful um and, and for anyone and, for anyone who's wondering that they can serve two purposes one one is for protection and that's what we tend to hear a lot about in pop culture now another is to as a ward um to keep things away and while now we fixate on say evil spirits or demonic spirits then it would be typically just the spirits of the dead that, of the dead that you did not want to come back um, yes yeah yeah there's hermitage has a lot of energy um you know and some of some of that is is acknowledged they they do have under very controlled circumstances paranormal tours it's during certain seasons and uh, i think a, a regional paranormal group conduct some of those they weren't doing that when i was there um, mm -hmm. but 
you know, it is the, and of course there's a, there's a lot of, a lot of lore, um, you know, and some, some fun stories that are associated, um, you know, not the least of which is Andrew Jackson showing up on occasion. Well, the, you know, that, that, that can happen. Um, <laughs> I, before we move on, I wanted to say an, another I, another thing interesting, of course, um, in 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 the uh, in their findings, um, were cache of pins and with the with the uh, photo of them, number of them are bent, um, and uh, if I recall correctly, said they were found where the, the pins were crossed um, mm. in nine. Um, often you would find um, uh, also in these workings um, either you know, thread or cord, et cetera, tied into nine knots. Nine is a very powerful number when it comes to this cosmology. And I, for those listening that have read a number of New Age books on witchcraft this will sound very familiar because basically this has been lifted from african-american culture directly into new age quote spell books very interesting and that is that is and and, and a great example of uh, a very very ancestral tradition getting passed on, but not necessarily, uh, even if the sources are cited, not necessarily having that be part of the awareness that comes with it. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I think, you know, it's of note also to think that, um, like with this archeological dig, um, that this was still something that was being done at, at a great risk. The, these, these items were found, you know, under the hearth, the door uh, thresholds, windowsills, et cetera. In the, as, as it says, the big house, this was, this was the, the mansion. This, this was not a slave cabin. Um, mm -hmm. um, and this is throughout. And, you know, certainly uh, it's, a, it's conjecture, particularly in a particular house what was the intent? Because again, in the in, in this discipline, it, it, it can be we're we're trying to protect the house and everyone here versus, you know, we're maybe we're trying to protect ourselves from the master or anything in between or from the dead, um, etc. Um, that part is much harder to interpret. It it is. And just to, in in terms of coming off of off of that conversation, uh, a reference to the article written by Yvonne Chirot in the summer of 1997, Conjuring Christianity in the 19th Century, Religious Elements in African-American Magic. A very interesting article. And something that really struck out to me was that the going a little bit more in depth in this interplay uh, on, on an aspect of what we now think of as hoodoo that can be very confusing to people because there is a very unique interweaving of West African tradition with um, essentially Protestant folk 
Christianity or rural Protestantism. Yes, and that that is separate from the interplay between that traditional conjuring and Catholicism that evolved into voodoo. Yes, it is. And it's also, I think, notable you you look at <clears throat> these aspects of rural or mountain Protestantism in, in many cases uh, are being practiced by individuals of uh, Scots-Irish descent. You're again dealing with a, a group of people who are to a large degree uh, poor and or impoverished mm -hmm. uh, that are that are doing their best to to eke a living out of out of what is initially very very rough circumstances, um, very difficult environments with a lot of threats, and you you see the uh, many of the higher questions uh, you know the the more grand theological questions and great socio-political concerns being thrown out the window for issues like, uh, are we gonna make it through the winter? Are we gonna survive? If we experience an injury, how can we stop the bleeding? Uh, if your child is dying, what do we do about it? These types of things, there's the, you're suddenly bereft of the luxury of all of this high thinking and deep political thought and you're just going how do i make it in some cases through the end of the season through the winter maybe even just through the day and there there's some strong similarities and i can't help but see some interworking um some some cross-cultural pollination and we see that with the the effects of essentially rural protestantism impacting um individuals of West African descent who are also practicing root work and, uh, and, and these structures of cosmology. And you, you see it in uh, the herbal aspects. And this was on the uh, Conjuring Christianity in the 19th Century, page 237 of this article, of this book, uh, references to the, uh, the healing plants or the protective plants and the names that were being associated with it. Angel's roots, devil's shoot string, uh, bowels of Christ, blood of Jesus leaf, Samson's root, St. John's wort or high John the conqueror, um, the leaves of the peace plant, the king of the woods. Um, these types of things, this interworking or interlocking um, combination of West African tradition and Protestant Christianity in a rural folk setting. And the individuals who were practicing it, again, were approaching it with such pragmatism that when they were questioned as to this supposed dichotomy of how can you be practicing these two separate things, they were going because it works. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and, you know, there's a specific. Uh, account there from a minister who he himself being interviewed this this was um shortly before the turn of the 19th century um so this would have been the late 1700s um collecting um folklore 
and they interviewed an African-American clergyman who, and they described him as one of the most scholarly and noted ministers of, quote, the colored race. Um, but he admitted that even as a professed Christian, he was under the influence of Buddhism and other African occult practices and gave the example that um, when he started out as a minister, he was having a hard time attracting uh, worshipers. Um, and then a visitor told him that he should um, get you a hand as a friend and to draw them. And uh, they were referring to a conjurer and he yeah. ultimately accepted a talisman <laughs> and um, and it worked. And it worked. The very next week, uh, church was full. And um, that um, when, when the luck charm, basically, he, he, had, he came to uh, a point where the boxes were testing him, as we were saying earlier, uh, the boxes of how do, you, how do you put things in different boxes and felt like he shouldn't be you know, relying on this as, as a Christian minister. And um, that, uh, so he destroyed the talisman and he had never drawn a congregation as large again. <laughs> and, you know, there's, there's a lot of, I would say, you know, popularized mm, new age belief structures that, that could speak into this but I think it really should be the other way around because we're dealing with ancient traditions uh, mm -hmm. that again, when they are, from what we can tell, done correctly, create things, manifest things, and move things in directions that are oftentimes very foreign to our current way of thinking. Exactly. Um, I think maybe um, an analogy for people is, you know, we, we talk about having the right frame of mind for something or the right attitude to, to persevere through, say, a hard task at work or, or whatever. Um, and basically what we're saying is, this, you know, it, it's how you look at things and how you interact with what's going on and it, it's the same it, it's the sort of the flip side of that coin um, um we just tend to say think oh what we're saying is one way and that's something completely different when in reality it may not be it very well may not be and uh coming back same article page 233 there was a, a reference to Missouri and there was a reference to Arkansas. And I like that because it really, we have can cite documentation that ties this to the Ozarks regions, uh, at least as close as the state. Um, late 1800s, a folklorist interviewed uh, a cult specialist who met regularly in a Missouri um, um, African Methodist church. Uh, the potential conflict between conjure and Christianity was pointed out by the writer um, who described an individual <clears throat> who would regularly conjure 
uh, and then was also very disciplined about attending church every Sunday. And, and again, you know, I think, especially in this belief system, it, it's not either or, or yes or no proposition. Um, no. And it's certainly not in even, you know, the, you know, the more sort of visible voodoo uh, context that is more visible to, to outsiders today. Um, True. So... True. And in just in continuing that, the, the Arkansas reference, um, a uh, quote unquote, uh, you know, post-Civil War Arkansas, quote unquote, a former bondsman practiced, practiced to conjure on unsuspecting victims out of, quote, meanness um, and belonged at the same time to a local Baptist congregation. Uh, another late 19th century Arkansas conjurer was renowned in three counties for his alleged role in the deaths of at least 10 men and women by occult means, who was also referenced as a pious man and a deacon in the church. <laughs> well, I, you know, again, you know, we don't know all the circumstances. <laughs> and <clears throat> it... It, it comes down to you do what you got to do. That's and I think that aspect of mm, the 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 situation at hand is something that if we if we're very honest with ourselves have to understand that we could probably relate more to that than we would like to think. We then ask ourselves. What if we were given access to that kind of power? And I think that's where a lot of the fear innately originates. Oh, I, I think that's accurate. And I and I I think it's worthy of note too that for for those that were practicing conjurers in this tradition that the spirit realm was very present and and it was not like a a, a cosmos you know set in stone it, it was it was an interactive uh, in um a, a dangerous a potentially dangerous situation that could um strike at even the most pious men um, yeah and and I think that is part of that walking that line between even being a minister and and a practicing hoodoo, um, even a conjurer is that um, dealing dealing with forces that attacked the the faithful and the pious. Very very true, and in some cases the. Um, rural Protestantism, I think, really spoke into this in the idea that there is a, a supernatural world of evil uh, that you need protection from. And the idea, and certainly the, the argument in many of cases, and it's referenced in this article, is that uh, God gave certain know-how to certain people, and God gave us certain tools uh, to protect ourselves and so you go to the person who knows how to do that if you think you are at risk. Yes, yes. And 
and for and and that seems to be a little harder notion to reconcile now than it was say 100 150 years ago for a lot and, of people and and i think that it's it's dealing with that uh it's dealing with something that we really have yet to fully come to grips with as a as a larger discussion because there is a conflation ultimately a conflation between ex the extreme rational side of the enlightenment and its uh its association with the church that you know it, at various times finds expression that we're still dealing with and you know predominantly coming into the the paranormal realm uh dealing with uh the fact that quite frankly a lot of my uh fellow Southern Baptists uh, have issue with the type of paranormal research that I do because they're going, they're all evil, it's bad. Uh, or uh, another, which is not just within Southern Baptists, but just generally across the, the board with, with uh, modern day or everyday modern Christians, the, the idea that it's perfectly okay to accept the distant existence of supernatural realities because that doesn't get in the way of our modern enlightenment modern educational system secularism mm -hmm. but the problem with ghosts is that that gets awfully close to home and we don't like that this is reminding me of a certain conversations in cafe in greenfield <laughs> You may or may not remember. <laughs> oh, good times. Good times. Yeah. <laughs> yes. To, to which my response to those questions, I think, surprised someone. Not you, but someone. <laughs> and it's, um, you know, and the thing that I would just, I, I consistently encourage uh, people around me is just the the importance and sometimes the discomfort of having an open mind in these regards oh definitely um and 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 that is you know having an open mind and and being able to hold uh seemingly contradictory uh, views at the same time um is, is it can be very disconcerting to a lot of people yes and oftentimes, though, and I think is that that our hmm, disparate simultaneous views oftentimes are not as disparate in reality as we keep trying to think that they are. Very true. Very true. Uh, I would. Oh, go ahead. And, and, and it's kind of funny because actually in this article, you know, there, there's a statement, this is actually in a, in a footnote on 241, that you know, my use of magic as a category to seen from other religious means of uh, mediating the supernatural may be misleading. <laughs> because again, you know, it's, you know, sits half dozen ways the other in certain respects. Um, it, it is, and I think, again, I think it's, it's very, these are, these are issues that each generation must grapple with. And that's a very interesting point. I'm glad you, you said that because, and I think it's, I, I think in some ways, 
it's harder to grapple these issues when aspects of this are so much based on oral tradition um, and handed down from practitioner to practitioner, um, which leaves sort of one side of the conversation um, very uh, quiet versus the other side. Um, uh, and so the negotiation and the re-understanding of it over time ends up starting from square one. Instead of building on sort of building on the conversations over time, you are repeatedly starting over. True, <clears throat> true. And that's a difficult place to land. I were, I'm very grateful for that. And you know, a, a lot of our source materials for tonight's episode are proof that there is a considerable amount, even a surprising amount of documentation um, on the subject. But this is documentation that is, interestingly enough, not part of our larger pop culture discussion. And it's, it's documentation that is mm, tucked away in research libraries and universities and is, is not part of the larger, just the, the larger milieu of understanding. Very true. Even when you are specifically talking about these subjects, um, a lot of what is out there in pop culture discussions, and, and I'm not saying that in any derision, uh, but just um, sort of in, in the sort of very, the more casual or hobbyist enthusiast uh, realms and even some practitioners, um, you you don't see that depth of information. Um, kind of reminds me of the uh, archives of the Vatican that you know you you can't check out the book unless you know what to ask for and they won't tell you what they have. So um, <laughs> it, it, it's the same process. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm honestly wondering if the entire library of Alexandria isn't in there. I, I, I hope it is. I really do. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I do too. So what are, what are some of the actual, you know, practices that, that come to mind that may have been that, that you feel that really stand out? Oh, for conjuring, you mean? Mm-hmm. Um, as it relates to current practice and discussions or? Uh, current or just or just things, you know, based on, on uh, our research uh, or investigations. Well, for me, that there, there is a real, there's a real sense of, of, of affecting the environment with some of these things. Um, and uh, that I can't quantify uh, empirically, but based on my own experience uh, investigating at locations where there are, there, have, there were conjurings and some that were actually from that time period with enslaved populations. Um, my own experience is, kind of, you know, as we said, 
sometimes it just works that um, things such as offerings, because part of the practice would be making offerings um, for the dead, um, those that you want help from. Um, on the other hand, you might do some other things to, to keep ones that, away that you don't want to come back. Um, and um, that sense of its change and that sense of permission, I guess, would be the way I look at it when, when we're dealing with investigations, because um, it's an acknowledgement of, of their existence, of the, their validity, um, and of, again, reciprocity. I mean, it's, you know, um, when we walk into a location and say, hello, everyone, that's really a part of this tradition. It's, 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 it's a continuation of these things. When we say we, you know, we're, we're acknowledging them, it is a continuation of this tradition specifically. Um, you know, offerings of tobacco um, and whiskey or rum. Mm -hmm. Often at locations with, with, you know, more violent or violent meaning chaotic, um, uh, activity. Um, I don't want to use the, the word violent in the sense of, you know, dangerous or harming people. Um, often does seem to have an effect. Mm. Again, I, I can't, I can't put a calculate, pull out a calculator and say, you know, it reduced activity by 13.5% <laughs> or something like that, but, you know, a palatable difference. Um, and I think that's something in the Western mindset that we have a trouble with to say, I, I, I don't have to quantify everything to yes. say it was significant. It was significant. There was a noticeable change. Um, something that I- to, You don't have to have a bell curve for everything. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and again, as, a, as a, an aspect of offering uh, something that, you know that we were referencing in the uh, the mirror magic episode, uh, mm -hmm. the, the um, old I believe Southern European tradition of setting up mirrors and then placing food into the mirror's reflection to feed mm -hmm. the spirit. Uh, something that that is consistent um, is with uh, hoodoo, voodoo, um, obias. Um, I, I suspect Santeria, although I'm less familiar with Santeria specifically, uh, is um, is offerings, and mm -hmm. the offerings typically are things like um, white sugar, um, rum, whiskey, tobacco, eggs, eggs, eggs rice, egg, rice, um, and you know, and then again to a Western mind. Uh, or to a, a strict interpretation on Protestantism, these things can seem very, uh, either very old-fashioned, very primitive, um, and they could seem very wrong, but we're really speaking to ancient traditions uh, that, that were carried on from generation to generation, 
by by individuals with a much more personal understanding of how the supernatural world on an everyday basis works. Yes, and and I and I think again, as you said, for for many, the supernatural is at arm's length, and for this tradition, it is very personal and everyday. And to be honest, I tend to view it that way as myself. So um, it, it's just part and parcel with life. But um, it is, and and I appreciate the fact that. Clearly, some of these spirits appreciate good whiskey. <laughs> that, that, it, that seems I to be a, well. a condition, <laughs> a condition um, and, uh, in the offering is that it should be the best whiskey you got, not the worst whiskey that you got. Very true. That's very, very true. <laughs> and Josh will be the taste tester. I absolutely will. <laughs> and another another thing that I in the, that um, often was used, like again the the use of the of nines, um, 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 buttons with with holes, um, um, often pierced in them, additional to the normal holes for the the button, uh, things like this, because the, uh, discs were often used as amulets or as to be worn, etc., which again is no different than a hagstone. True, very, very true. Something, something about you know something with the hole that it can be worn. Often to be worn as a necklace or as an um, ankle bracelet. Um, mm -hmm. And often in this tradition, uh, you would um, a button or a coin, and you would burn it and then wear it. Um, particularly if it uh, came from a person that you were trying to affect in whatever way. Yeah, yeah. Very, very powerful. Very interesting. And perhaps, uh, you know, some of, the, some of the disconcerting aspects that people have, you know, the, 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 the unsettling aspects is that so many of the tools uh, of the you know of the practice are everyday objects that if you don't know their significance you won't recognize what they're being used for. Well, that's correct. Just as you know, in, in the list of items that you read earlier, uh, the bowl with the uh, marking in, it, uh, in the bottom that was painted blue. Well, that I imagine it was paint blue. Mm -hmm. And. <laughs> Pink blue specifically is color used to uh, repel spirits. Yes. So, so think about that the next time you see a bottle tree in somebody's yard. It, exactly. I think another in, interesting aspect of this is um, the very close connection in this lore with um, cemeteries and uh, practitioners a lot. Then uh, a lot of um, ceremonies or spells, conjurings would be conducted in cemeteries. Often graveyard dirt is used. Um, uh, oftentimes uh, uh, goofer dust. Uh, sometimes more modernly, uh, 
uh, people will substitute red brick dust, but um, that the cemetery itself became uh, an aspect of the realm of magic um, in, in, in a different way than the European sense. Um, That's a really good point. And I think that the, some of that has definitely impacted pop culture. I think so. Um, I mean, certainly, certainly there are, you know, tales of spectral phantoms and go and cemeteries, you know, in the European um, tradition, but not with the same connotation of fear, um, perhaps malevolence, danger that there is in North America. Um, and I think it goes back to this tradition. I, I, you know, digging into that is powerful. You think about some of the mm, occultic folk references that we see with, uh, you know, graveyards and black cats in, uh, in uh, uh, the adventures of Tom Sawyer. Mm -hmm. And, and of course, we're dealing with a Mississippi culture in, in that regard, something. And again, uh, we're dealing with, with, fragments of a belief structure that are fragments that are embedded in our psyche right they're not conscious often even no and and if they are conscious we might we might recognize the thing but there's a good chance we don't know from whence the thing came and you know i think the the graveyard dust the, the graveyard dirt and the goofer dust is a is a great example of that we we see so many references to this practice in in blues mm -hmm. and and uh, and just throughout that entire aspect of culture even so much so that i think many people could listen to the songs and not realize that they're they're, they're talking about these practices uh in you know and and of course that that's made its way into modern rock and roll as well that's true. Another aspect of, of, of that is that it was common for graves and cemeteries to be decorated with items that would have been of use to the spirit if, 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 if they were wandering or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, a bowl of, of water might be everyday items that from the European sense, it didn't make a lot of sense why, why that would be. But then you fast forward to today. And how often is it that you are in a cemetery and you find items left at a grave that you go, I'm, why, why leave this or that? You know, I remember, yeah. I, I remember being in a cemetery um, some years ago, um, I was looking for a particular grave and came across a grave and it was decorated, but with items that certainly make more sense in this regard than anything else. There was an antique iron. I remember that. Um, a teacup. Um, 
and just sort of several sundry items that you staying there looking at why this combination you know it's not even something you say oh this this is you know leaving toys on a child's grave because they would enjoy playing with them or or you know a collection type thing just seemingly disparate items that just household items that that were obviously placed intentionally mm -hmm. uh, which would make much more sense in this tradition yes in tradition uh, mm -hmm. but but then on that it, it's become much more common for people to leave various things on tombstones true true and it comes from this tradition <laughs> and sometimes even unconsciously there right are, and it, it's it is definitely a shift you know i, I think a a more uh european new england um idea in terms of graveyards is one that 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 balances somewhere between austerity and uh, the city park. Yeah, very true. <laughs> very true. <laughs> and and that's, that's a space that does not traditionally hold space for, hey, I grabbed a whole bunch of stuff I thought you might like out of the dollar store and stuck it on your grave, which happens and uh, in, in with increasing frequency today. It, it does, and I'm not sure that anyone even really understands, you know, you know the source of that, but, um, or often. Something else I was going to pose to you, because it, it, it ties into our, our um, last episode on spiritualism. Yes. Um, and you may know where I'm going with this, but um, I, I find it, it's interesting that Abraham Lincoln plays a, a very large role in this tradition as well as spiritualism. Honest Dave got around after yes. his death. Yes. Um, and, you know, if, if you didn't listen to the episode on, on seances and spiritualism, one, go, go listen to it. But secondly, um, Abraham Lincoln and George Washington uh, other founding fathers often made appearances at seances in in the post-civil war period um and uh, uh, along along with thomas Paine and william shakespeare yes yes we cannot forget them and, I, and even julius caesar at times so but you know an interesting company but um, it was a busy room yes but lincoln often did and it's interesting that um, during the Civil War and afterwards, um, Lincoln often was incorporated into ghost stories uh, in African-American culture. Yes, I found that incredibly fascinating and really a, a powerful commentary, sort of a meta commentary on how Lincoln was seen. Exactly. And, you know, um, in um, Elliot Gorn's article, um, Black Spirits, the Ghost Lore of Afro-American Slaves, um, he uh, 
makes the uh, reference to um, a statement by actually a former slave named Tom Wyndham that uh, about old father Abraham Lincoln. I've seen him since he he been dead too. I got an old gun. Um, old uh, father Abraham gave me right out of his own hand at Pittsburgh. I'm going to keep it until I die too. Yes, man, I know that I know these spirits, um, you know, and um, just a real connect. And but I think it's a good. I think that statement is a good illustration of the idea of the dead interacting with the living. In, in a way that's different than most Europeans would view it. That's really true. That's really true. And I think it, it speaks on a, uh, on a on a personal level that mm, goes beyond a lot of the, the more mm, structured European traditions of the, the dead are mm, here to say something. They're here to finish some business. They're here to you know, accomplish something and then move on. This is subtly different in terms of its manifestation. I agreed, agreed. And um, there's an interesting uh, anal anal uh, analogous situation that goes on in these tales of, you have someone like Abraham Lincoln coming back um, but you have not only ancestral spirits, which would also be favorable, but there's a lot of lore about dead slave owners coming back and dealing with them. And not favorably. That's, and not favorably. And, and individuals of, uh, you know, and, and I think, I think that this is, had this speaks on multiple levels I, I think that it speaks to the trauma uh the the fear that a certain number of individuals would were experiencing at any given moment uh at the hands of their their owners uh at the hands of the the, the owners and the the masters and seeing mm, you know some some of the some of the uh, ghost lore really reads more like post-traumatic stress uh, disorder. It really does. Even uh, even a statement um, from Frederick Douglass um, mm. that's quoted in the in the article um, that he often would spend uh, Sundays staring at Chesapeake Bay, pondering his um, fate and. Um, um, and um, torment from from these, you know, from specters. Um, and uh, interesting thing is that you, you know, from a PTSD standpoint, you you would think yes, there would be triggers, etc. But um, an interesting part of this is that often. Um, this ghost, uh, these ghost tales involving dead uh, slaveholders, they came back with almost supernatural powers. Um, 
you, you know, it, uh, almost re on par of, you know, like, you know, a vampire coming back or, or the undead, a reverent of some sort that um, terrorizes them more now than when they were alive. Um, yeah, it's, which, it's very chilling. Yeah, which I, I do think there definitely is a PTSD aspect to this, I'm sure. But it seems like there's something more that, um, that um, which from the European mindset, we don't want to even consider that on the other side, the dead may have more power than they do as, uh, when they're living. Right. And that's, <clears throat> this is something that mm, sneaking into modern paranormal investigations and sort of our, our modern ghost lore that we really struggle with the the dichotomy of this on one time and on one hand I think we uh, are are gratuitously engaged in it on the other hand we want to go nope that's not the case and I've heard to you know just on one-on-one conversations with individuals in regards to you know our investigative work my investigative work uh, on the ground that uh, on one hand, individuals being terrified to go into a location, um, and you and you go, well, what are you afraid of? Ostensibly, they're afraid that the ghosts are going to do something to them. Right. That's no. I mean, that's the takeaway. But I, I also, oh, go ahead. No, I just said that is a fear that people do express. And and at the same time, I've I've had conversations with people who who go, you know, I've really, I've thought about this. Uh, if ghosts are real, they're, they're disembodied. They can't interact with the living. Uh, they can't interact with physical objects. So what am I scared of? And I'm yeah. like, well, we're half right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, today in 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 um, three different buildings I've been in, um, had single lights flash on and off as I walked past. So you know. Oh, <laughs> uh, there was um, one uh, again in the ghost lore that. One of the the references to haunted quilts. Yes. Uh, uh, a female slave brought two quilts from the estate of a white woman who died shortly after making them. Uh, that night, the slave woman and her son could not sleep because the quilts kept pinching their toes. Which, you know, again, you know, comparing to investigations and, and haunted sites, there are a lot of places that that actually that very thing is a, is reported behavior of, of either being touched while you're sleeping under a blanket or the blanket being pulled and things like that. So, you know. There's, there's definitely a, you know, consistency in that. Uh, another story, Sarah Douglas from Alabama told of being raised by an extremely brutal mistress. Uh, quote, old miss was very strict on us, the former slave recalled. And after she died, we were so glad we had a big dance in Mrs. Kitchen 
An old miss came back and slapped one of the slaves and left the print of her hand on her face. And again, there are times that, you know, that uh, people report um, handprints, you know, uh, you know, on their skin, things like that. So the, those again are analogous to things that go on today. And I think the other uh, that, that really stood out to me in this was a, uh, let's see here, the uh, having a, a, a slave master uh, dying and uh, reported that he had left buried treasure. They, uh, they go to dig it up and during the process, uh, one of the men who's doing the digging suddenly it's as though he's being whipped um, with the, the, the lash welts appearing and the blood coming through his shirt as though someone is there whipping him. And, uh, and I think, again, that, that really speaks to a, a couple of things that, that are very unsettling. One, the, uh, the, the level of fear that some of these men instilled in in those around them and the really the the horror of uh, and brutality of 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 that that humanity is capable of and the and the scars that that leaves behind but it also speaks to a a belief in a structure that is typically only explored in our more salacious mm, paranormal films of the ghosts being able to genuinely harm uh, yeah. the living. True. Um, and by the same token, there were tales of, of slaveholders being absolutely, you know, just as terrified of spirits of dead slaves coming back. Um, yeah. yes. which, which I think is in a bit, interesting. I mean, it, it obviously speaks to sort of that even unconscious knowledge of you know, what today would be called karma or dharma. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, fear of receiving treatment that you had met out. But uh, I think it's that in itself goes to show that both sides in this equation viewed ghosts as real mm -hmm. as powerful being able to interact and you know affecting you certainly emotionally and physically mm -hmm. Where, yes. whereas today um, I mean in that in itself I think it, it is sort of that uh, tell that Oops, you know, in Jamaica, we, we make all the fuss about about the law um, and it's, you know, they're pr just pretending, but in reality, we know they're not um, because we don't want to see them in the bedroom after they after someone's died. Um, and um, 
and to be honest, I think, you know, that, that, you know, both sides are being, you know, honest in those fears and the, and in recognition that things are being affected. Whereas today you get that dichotomy. Nope. Nope. It can't be, or, or sometimes just the opposite. Everything is, you know, everything's paranormal, everything, or everything can hurt you or nothing mm -hmm. can hurt you. Right. There's, there's an unwillingness to walk down that, that center. And there is that, you know, the, the, the concern. And I think, I think this is where that, that extraordinarily complex oral cosmology is suddenly so apparent in its absence. Because we're 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 looking at these these ancient traditions and cosmologies that would contextualize for example these are our ancestors mm -hmm. uh, these are the vengeful dead those are not the same and that you know these as opposed to these are um, you know, spirits that exist, uh, elemental, inhuman spirits that are benign or possibly helpful if placated, as opposed to the ones that are mischievous tricksters, as opposed to the ones that are unbelievably dangerous and you do not poke them with a stick. And that that this grander cosmology, this grander and incredibly complex unseen world is that it makes sense on its terms mm -hmm. and that we have, even at our access, particularly in terms of the, um, you know, the even contemporary West African animism traditions and, and lore and understanding and belief structures, we have this extremely profound knowledge available to us, but we're still floundering around out here going, either it doesn't exist or it's all good or it's all bad. And those are basically the, uh, you know, we're, we're still dealing with the, the options basically of chocolate, vanilla, or swirl. <laughs> yes. and, and, and instead, the, there's a dizzying complexity but from what I can tell, just going from uh, the, the uh, West African animism, is these are dizzying complexities that if you are raised within the oral traditions, have complex but sensible and workable structure. Yes, yes. Um, and, it, and I think remove it from the realm of the paranormal, and most people recognize that that's true with so many things in life. I mean, aspects in life mm -hmm. in different fields, et cetera, is that um, it all has a structure within itself that if you're versed in it, it makes sense. But to outsiders, it does not. But you have to verse yourself in it. Yes. Uh, and there is a resistance on a lot of people in, in becoming versed in cosmologies um, yeah and and even just from the from the aspect that it's complex that's true i mean you know uh you know math hurts you know right 
there, you know, there's a certain amount of rigor, and and I think this would mm, prove irritating to a number of people within the the Western civilization mindset. A a surprising amount of objective rigor that is required to understand these complexities. Agreed. Now I'm going to throw the question back to you. What what do you see in this tradition? that uh, comes up in the current paranormal field or pop culture? The most. Uh, oh, in, in terms of pop culture, you know, I think that there's there's a number of fairly obvious ones, just the the tropes associated with with voodoo. Mm -hmm. uh, and and those are tropes that that certainly have an, an important standing um, but it's important to understand them within within their negative context, and and come to the realization that uh, that the for example voodoo is a is a vast, uh, complex and deeply respected religious structures, uh, religion within that, uh, within the Ozarks, you know various aspects of witchcraft and power doctors is influenced by by these traditions and i think that it is of particular note that mm, the what we would classify today as the marginalized peoples uh tended to gather together and share information on certain levels mm -hmm. and what that what you saw what you see in that in terms of creating its own folk traditions within the ozarks is uh you know african americans and poor whites practicing from the outside looking in or for contemporary definitions uh you know contemporary you know at the during the era definitions that they were practicing witchcraft uh of whatever kind seemed to work for them right and so those you know the the tropes again of uh uh conjurings in the in the graveyard conjurings between midnight and two o'clock uh the idea that there's certain people that you fear that you know that that, that you don't either you don't want to get on their bad side or that you know of someone that got on their bad side and then something mysteriously happened to them that was bad yes. those types of and you know from a, from a standpoint of of uh of conjure and and taking it from the position that conjure is real when it is practiced effectively that it could be under the right circumstances a very potent form of justice because you could mm, fix something and someone in a way that you cannot by uh, the rules of the enlightenment tie back um, to the perpetrator. Very true. Very true. <laughs> Just came to mind um, on investigations of uh, 
I think there could be an argument made that, um, particularly in the way that some trigger objects are going, um, as as trigger objects are being ma manufactured to incorporate devices such as EMF detectors, etc. They work very much the same way, or investigators are hoping they do in much the same way as a, as a lot of these conjuring practices do, as to either to attract, repel the spirits. You know, let's put an EMF detector in a teddy bear, and maybe you know, um, and that's going to have more effect than just laying the device out separately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a powerful line of thought. I, I think, and mm, I may get hate mail on this. Um, I think that uh, a great deal of current investigative processes are still very primitive in comparison, for example, to tonight's discussion, you know, the, the topic, not mm -hmm. our discussion, um, but our, our, our subject matter which again west african animism as a as, a, as, a, as an overall or overarching topic is vastly more contextual and intelligent than what a lot of us typically you know and a lot of people are doing in terms of investigation or trying to touch the paranormal i i i agree there um but uh... It is interesting that in some ways, some of this, these aspects are being brought into it and, and people wouldn't realize that for the most part, unless they were versed in, in the lore. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, um, and um, uh, I, I do find it interesting. Um, and um, And to be perfectly honest, I haven't necessarily seen that those attempts are any more successful. So mm -hmm. <laughs> it's fun to watch, though, and it is. I, it's and it's very interesting. Well, it. I mean, it is. But I, you know, again, I, I, I've often with so as these devices are are turned into trigger objects and vice versa. Um, I often ask my, you know, as I'm watching people do that, I'm like, who do you think you're fooling? And I think sometimes they fool themselves more than anything. Um, that, you know, the EMF detector alone versus being in a teddy bear or a doll or whatever is going to be of any more or less interest than either mm -hmm. of them separately. That's 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 an interesting observation, and I think it's it's worth. The consideration, I, I think that we oftentimes aren't necessarily applying the level of sort of larger mm, universal intelligence or grander complex intelligence that seems to be associated with the other world when well, we're interacting with it. I mean that that's I mean that's very true, and especially coming at it in the postmodern sense, you know, we're we're kind of stumb we are kind of stumbling around in the dark and trying to, you know, uh, 
see what we can bump into and if it works. True, true. So my recommendation is study Kudu and West African animism <laughs> and then proceed carefully and with caution on your investigation. Yes, I, th I think that is that is good advice. Um, again, proceed, proceed as you're comfortable. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and with, with, with that interesting note, uh, perhaps that's a good place to leave off. Uh, we want to remind everyone not to forget to check out upcoming events and merchandise at darkozarts.com and paranormalsciencelab.com. Thank you again to Always Buying Boots and Beard Engine Brewing Company for helping to bring the Dark Ozarts to everyone. On the next episode, we are going to be discussing the Oklahoma Ozarks. Catch the Dark Ozarks podcast on Branson Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Substack, or about any other podcast platform. Thank you, everyone. And remember, there are no easy answers in the dark Ozarks.